What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Week 9 DFS MVP Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 4 for 4 with my co-host, Matt Savoca. If you are a new listener, every week we touch on our favorite values from the main slate on both FanDuel and DraftKings. And in the podcast with a theory segment, from the macro to the micro, our goal is to get you better at DFS this week, we will be touching on the art of the bring back. Uh, before we get into it, make sure you're checking out our other DFS shows. Every Monday, we do a cash game review right here on YouTube at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Every Saturday, Yahoo DFS values with Matt Harmon of Yahoo Fantasy. That comes out on the DFS MVP podcast feed as well as Yahoo podcast feed. Every Sunday morning, the GPP Last Look Show with Jordan Vanek is on the subscriber-only Discord. Make sure you get signed up for that in the description below. That's 8 a.m. Pacific time, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Again, only on the Discord. If you haven't signed up for the DFS subscription yet, we had a, another price drop. The DFS sub is now $49 uh, for the second half of the season. The original price was $99, so make sure you get signed up for that by going to 444.com. And just to let you know, today's podcast is brought to you by WinBet. WinBet is bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting. Get in on all of your favorite teams, players, and sports. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, we have what you need to win. Sign up today to receive a special offer, a risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now and use the promo code 444. That's the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4, to claim your risk-free bet today. Matt, welcome to a wild, wacky week 9. We have lots of news, lots of injuries, lots of controversy, lots of players not playing. Whatever do you mean? <laughs> I mean, it's not the drunkest NFL week of news I've ever seen oh, in my life. Man. No, yeah, not at all. Yeah, we and, got uh, quarterbacks starting, quarterbacks not starting, cheap quarterbacks. Uh, it is all over the place today, but let's jump <laughs> into it with uh, with some normalcy, a a regular here on the DFS MVP podcast, your favorite quarterback of the week. Yeah, this is an everybody breathe, everybody breathe moment for this week nine craziness that has occurred all around, but we're going back to the well with these rushing upside quarterbacks Lamar Jackson right near the top of the salary pool this week on both sites the Ravens are still a run focused team they're number two in game script adjusted rush percentage but their pace of play continues to increase they're now the eighth fastest team in terms of game adjusted pace of play so when you apply and contextualize for game script and game environment they're playing really fast and now when you talk about this strange slate where the high total games continue to creep down, this 49.5 point total, which usually would be pretty middling yep. in a main slate, looks pretty good when the top on the sl the top game on the slate is 50 points. Yep. So now you're talking about Lamar Jackson, who is top five in yards per pass attempt, number one in air yards per pass attempt, and top three in total deep targets. So when he is passing, he's throwing deep which is creating situations where both of his top options, Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews, can hit higher ceilings this year than they have in years past. And he's the same old rusher that we've always seen. First in the NFL amongst quarterbacks and carries, first in rush yards, and he's actually QB6 in red zone carries and eighth in TDs. So you could say he's actually a slight positive regression candidate. 
uh, going forward. Minnesota's not scaring us at all. They're within five adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses from the league average. And I think Rashad Bateman only adds to the upside of the quarterback and the overall offense. So uh, there's nothing really scaring me from starting Lamar Jackson. If I can possibly get there this week, I'm trying to get to Allen or Jackson because we don't have those clear and obvious value plays we thought we might at the beginning of the week. I, I think that the number that you mentioned that's really important is their overall adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses. Um, Lamar's just such a, a unique quarterback and this is such a unique offense that even though Minnesota does rank relatively high in terms of fantasy points allowed to the quarterback position, we just saw them get beat uh, pretty bad by uh, by Cooper Rush, uh, the Cowboys backup quarterback. And also where they all are vulnerable is the deep ball. One thing that I looked at this week was um, just kind of breaking up how teams um, are attacked through the air just using QBR as a um, a rough reference point and breaking it down like under 10 yards, 10 to 19 yards, then 20 plus yards. So basically short, intermediate and deep passes. The place where Minnesota is really weak is that uh, defending that deep ball um, 19th in QBR allowed on passes of 20 uh, plus yards. And, and Lamar Jackson, he's the only quarterback that's averaging double digit intended air yards per pass. So I like him, um, as you mentioned, Bateman, Marquise, all really in a good spot to attack this secondary uh, Lamar with, with um, I mean, I guess we should we should mention it uh, with Trevor Simeon uh, announced as the starter. Like Taysom probably would have been the best value on the slate because he was. We were finally have like a cheap dual threat quarterback, but Simeon's going to start. No, I mean I'm sure uh, Taysom will get some work, but it's not going to be anywhere close to like use him in DFS. It could be it could be ten snaps. It, it could be thirty. Who 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 knows what starting means? It might be taking the first snap, but we kind of have to take those. Um, those Saints quarterbacks out of our player pool. But, exactly. Yeah, but with with Taysom not being on the slate, I'm going to talk about Jordan Love. Um, Aaron Rodgers obviously out uh, due to a positive COVID test. Jordan Love, $6,000 on Fandle, $4,400 on DraftKings. And we don't re- – obviously, we have no data to look at what Jordan Love hasn't played um, a game in the NFL yet. But this is just from a, a straight DFS theory standpoint, especially on DraftKings. His low salary just allows for a a really true studs and duds builds. Uh, we have punt plays at pretty much every position this week. Like we don't have a free square at running back, but we do have some pretty cheap um, cheap running back uh, options. We have really cheap wide receiver options. We have true punt at tight end, a true punt option at, at defense. So you can really get creative with how many studs you want in your lineup this week. And I mean, Jordan Love, obviously you are taking on a lot of risk, right? We don't know what he is. We don't know if he's good. Like it's pretty rare that we get a quarterback that's never made a start um, and, and comes in and, and tears it up. But Kansas City has been really bad, right? 29th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks, 30th in adjusted sack rate. They do not get after the passer. They're bottom five in fantasy points per pass attempt, so they do allow very high efficiency through the air. So, again, especially on DraftKings, we have Jordan Love projected as a top two value and we were talking about this before the pod, and I did write up Jordan Love as as a cash game option. He's my last cash game option, but he does he does open enough open enough open up enough salary where using multiple studs probably raises your floor enough where it it 
it accounts for his like his floor is really like the probably the lowest of, of any quarterback on the week because we don't know like he doesn't run a, a lot he has nine rushing touchdowns in college but he barely ran he's fast he's athletic but he isn't a, a, a player that we have like evidence that he is going to run so if the if the Packers do just decide to turn around and have it, hand it to Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon a bunch or just have a bunch of short quick throws like his his floor is really low so I do think people are going to look at Jordan Love and mistakenly say like, you know, with, with his low salary, you don't need much of a floor, but I don't know if he has a ceiling and, and I don't know if I want to use him in tournaments. I actually think he's a better tournament play than a cash game play because his range of outcomes is so wide. The Chiefs defense is really bad. I actually think he has enough of a ceiling and gives you enough of a ceiling with the extra studs you can get in your lineup that I actually think he's a good tournament play. What, what, what are your thoughts on love? I think his range of outcomes is almost bimodal, right? If you think about yeah. like he played a slate out a thousand times, he has a lot of games where he gets between five and 10 points mm-hmm. and he has a lot of games where he gets you 15 to 25 points. Now, yeah. he's a 30-point game in his range of outcomes. We've never seen a quarterback play. I'm going to go ahead and say the answer is almost definitively no. Sure. But if he gets you 15, 18, 20 points, and he allows you to get to the studs you absolutely have to have to win a tournament, then he was worth it 100% of the way. You know, on FanDuel, oh. I, I didn't write him up in my cash game lineup, but in terms of value ranking, his value is the same as quarterbacks who are... 1500 1600 more in salary so the things it allows you to do in your lineup is really it's it's unprecedented for the position really at yeah. this point in the season yeah I, I will say like obviously at 4400 on DraftKings the play is is way more intriguing just because of how tight um DraftKings sal- salaries are but even on FanDuel like I think if you're looking at it from the perspective of like oh if on on, on Fandle, if I play Jordan Love and he gets me 15, that's still two and a half X. Like that's a, that's a good value. Like that's not how we should be thinking about it. Even at his low salary, you still need like a 20, 22 point game out of him to be at the top of tournaments. That's not like crazy. A, a, a 20 point game isn't insane, but we have seen like these Teddy Bridgewater lineups where he gets 22 and, and like Cortland gets him like 18 or something like that. That's enough with the studs where it could get you to the ceiling. Like, like, 13, 14 points isn't getting it done. That's not what you need. So if you think he has a 22, 23-point game in his range of outcomes, I think he's a good tournament play, and I do think he has that in his range of outcomes. Agreed. Uh, let's move on to running back. Uh, this is an interesting one that you got here. I do think it's a really good play, but um, last week was a little bit concerning for me. Yeah, 100%. You know, we've been talking up this player, basically finally getting the role he always wanted to have. And then suddenly his usage is down in a very plus matchup against Mm -hmm. Carolina. So Cordero Patterson is my first, my running back play here. And the first thing I think people are going to see is the Falcons are underdogs against the Saints. And Mm -hmm. they know that the Saints aren't, if there's one thing they're able to do is stop the run. So why play any running back against New Orleans? So what I really think is that they're going to move away from the traditional running game and use Cordero Patterson the way he's supposed to be as be used as an extension of the running game using short area receptions. With Calvin Ridley out of the lineup, you lose an ability to stretch the field. So even if yeah. you have playmakers like Kyle Pitts, the defenses can focus much more on those players 
New Orleans, as expected, is number two in the NFL in yards per carry allowed and number 19 in yards per attempt allowed. So they're an obvious pass funnel defense, but you're going to have to get small chunk yardage. And I think Cordell Patterson has enough volume opportunity here. As you alluded to, prior to week eight, he had seen 14 carries and nine targets in week five. In week seven, 14 carries and five targets. But then he's down to nine carries Mm -hmm. and five targets. So he still has that five-target floor. But nine carries is not a player that certainly we're not looking at in cash games. So this is really a bet that that opportunity comes back up. Because we have seen him be efficient on a per-touch basis. He's running back 14 in yards created per touch. And his 6.3 yards per target, actually yards per touch, excuse me, is fourth amongst all running backs. So... I think the narrative here is that the the take the narrative take for me is that there's a chance to catch the Saints in turmoil with their yep. news that Michael Thomas is out for the year, that Trevor Simeon is starting. Maybe there's actually some positive game script upside for Cordero as well if he's able to break some. I, I go all the way back to, to week five, um, that London game against the Jets when Calvin Ridley was first out right before the bye. And uh, Patterson, he ran a route on 52% of dropbacks. That was a season high. That was with Ridley out. We come back to week seven after the bye. The Falcons have their highest uh, neutral passing rate of the season. We see CPAT run around on 62% of dropbacks, making it his next season high. In week eight, with Calvin Ridley out again, it goes to 45, so not as high. But basically the point is, in the last three games, whether Ridley has been active or inactive, we've seen CPAT around like running routes on like 50% of uh, the dropbacks. So that that's actually encouraging for me in this situation because the way to attack New Orleans is through the air. They're really hard to run against. And with Calvin Ridley out, we know that the Saints like to put Marshawn Lattimore on your best receiver the Falcons don't have a best receiver. They have a tight end that plays receiver. So I think Marshawn Lattimore, especially after um, we we saw Kyle Pitts, I don't remember what, who who the DB was that was locked up on him, but said they, they showed him some new things against the Panthers. I think we see a lot more of that. So I think we see Marshawn Lattimore on on um, Kyle Pitts a lot, which obviously helps out CPAT. So I like Patterson as, as a running back that you're going to get. Like last week, his, his raw um, routes were, run were was pretty low but that whole game was really slow falcons just didn't run a lot of plays but he should run 25 26 routes this week so uh patterson's in a really good spot and i'm gonna go up to near the top in in salary austin eckler nine thousand dollars on fanduel 7900 on DraftKings. um he's like our, our smash value play of the week on both fanduel and DraftKings. he's our top value by a pretty wide margin um you mentioned the Ravens and Vikings game as uh, one of the higher scoring ones in terms of, of over-under. This is the only game you mentioned with an over-under of at least 50, and it's at 50. There's nothing higher than it. So people would say, oh, shootout potential passing games. Both of these teams filter passes underneath and filter points to running back. So this is actually a huge Austin Eckler game. Philadelphia's top five in schedule adjusted points allowed to quarterbacks and wide receivers, 28th against running backs, allowing the fourth most receptions to the running back position. That obviously really benefits Austin Eckler, who coming out of the bye last week saw 29% of the Chargers targets, has 7.3 targets per game over the last month. And in that same month, he's one of seven backs with at least 75% of his uh, backfield touches. So I don't, I, I like, I like this game in general, um, but especially Austin Eckler, like he's going to be really popular, but, I mean, in cash games, I think he's pretty close to a lock. In tournaments, I haven't 
re-ran projections on ownership yet, but I actually think he, I, I don't think he was going to be mega chalk yet because people were probably going to be playing like Zeke as a kind of a higher price play guy. And I don't know what people are going to do with Camara, but I think now that we get Friday news that Simeon is starting instead of Taysom Hill, I actually think Camara probably gets juiced up pretty high. So I think him and Equa really cannibalize each other's ownership this week. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, obviously these value uh, metrics change a little bit as we get closer to Sunday. But as I wrote up, I used uh, the Z-score calculations that yep. we talk about a lot for tournaments. And using that value metric, the Z-score for Eckler on FanDuel compared to every other player on the slate was almost half a standard deviation yep. higher. So, yeah, he's a smash play on both sites. Yeah, and I think it'll still stay stay relatively high. Um, let's move on to wide receiver to a game that I already touched on, but on the other side and, and your top receiver on the slate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we got to talk about this narrative that before the wild week nine drama ensued, uh, the narrative out of Kansas City after their uh, win that they, they barely got away with a win against the New York Giants is that the sky is kind of falling offensively. <laughs> yeah. They keep turning the ball over. Kelsey keeps fumbling. Mahomes keeps uh, throwing interceptions on bad-looking yeah. throws. And I think the reality is just Kansas City is capable of having bad games. Their mm -hmm. volatility as an offense is higher than it normally is. And I think one of the reasons we're seeing that is because they're in more negative game scripts due to the horribly poor quality of their defense. But still, Tyreek Hill saw 18 targets last week. Like, what are we doing here? One of the most <laughs> explosive players in the league yeah. has 15-plus target upside. We really shouldn't be thinking beyond that. Then you can add the matchup that Green Bay is, you know, just around league average and adjusted fantasy points allowed. My big thing is that the ceiling hasn't changed for Mahomes, mm -hmm. for Hill, and I don't think the floor has either. Now, maybe you can make an argument that the floor for Kelsey might be starting to change here, but I don't really think that's true either. Before last week, he had, I believe, three straight weeks of double-digit fantasy points. Yeah. Mahomes is still QB 15 in yards per attempt. It's not QB 25. He's QB 12 in fantasy points per drop back, and he has less than five rushes per game. So it's not mm -hmm. like he's using that cheat code of rushing to fix that efficiency metric. He's still top 12 in passer rating and true QBR. So I'm just not worried about this team, especially as touchdown favorites this week against Green Bay. Hill is averaging 30. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. Keep, keep going. Keep going. He's averaging 13 targets per game since week four. And while I saw Green Bay is sixth best in league in yards per attempt allowed, they're actually down to 14th over the last three weeks. So it's, there's just nothing to get me off of Hill. And one thing I thought was really interesting, if you look at just the accuracy of Hill's passes, whatever you want to say about Mahomes, on Player Profiler, they gave uh, Hill's passes an 8.0 accuracy rating, which is wide receiver 10 on the season. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the quality of Hill's looks, and he's getting so many of them. Don't go away from him this week. Yeah, I mean, an 8,500 Fandle sub 8K on DraftKings, it's like not where we where we usually see Tyreek priced. And just from, not even from a fantasy or a DFS perspective, just looking at the the NFL and how the NFL flows and how, how heavily we lean into narratives in these short samples, look at the AFC and look at the Chiefs. The Chiefs are four and four. Nobody's running with the away with the AFC. If we look at the division, the Raiders are in first place, but they've had some some huge distractive distracting stories this year. Broncos just traded away 
you know, one of their best players. And like, they're, they're a 500 team that looks like they're already given up on the season. And then the chargers haven't been the world beaters that they were the first, first few weeks. So it just feels like the chiefs are hanging around long enough to just weather this storm. All of these teams, like good teams go through rough patches and they're going to have this, these scenarios there. Every game is going to start being important to them. And, and I mean, we still know how good they can be. Like these guys didn't forget how to play football, how to be a good offense. Obviously, they have some liabilities on their team, um, but but I I agree with you. I'm I I know it seems like it's been forever because they haven't like had a tear it up game since early in the season. But it, it's written in the scheme of things, it really hasn't been that long. And and they're I'm still on on the Chiefs train. Me too. And I was looking at their like weekly fantasy finishes. There's nothing wrong. They're yeah. incredibly consistent. They're just not number one overall at their right. position like they have in the last three seasons. It's still in their range of outcomes every week, though. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I like a receiver in another offense, the the offense with the second highest implied point, point total of the week, um, the Cowboys. But right before we hopped on here, Amari Cooper popped up on the injury report. So this is a tough one because going into um, like this late week uh, player selection uh, part of the DFS week for us, Amari wasn't on the injury report injury report it wasn't like had didn't have any practice issues cd had like a mile ankle sprain early in the week so cd was the more expensive wide receiver amari was the one that looked healthy now they're both questionable to play so we're gonna have to really keep an eye on on how this plays out throughout the weekend as we record this friday um obviously uh saturday walkthrough is going to be very important what we get from that Probably if it's this late in the week for Amari, unfortunately going to be a game time decision. But if we just look at like if both of these if both of these guys play, uh, they're getting Dak Prescott back. So Dak's not even on the injury report. Uh, and if we look at Amari compared to CD, six hundred dollars less on Fanduel, fifteen hundred dollars less on DraftKings. They're both averaging about eight targets per game. Amari Cooper's targets have been a little more volatile volatile than CDs. He had a really big target game in week one, another big target game in week eight. But over the last three weeks, the wide receiver breakout model, Amari's second in expected fantasy points among all pass catchers over his last three games. And I just mentioned talking about the the AFC West, Denver's traded away their best pass rusher in Von Miller. So their whole defense automatically gets worse. If Dak has an easier time against a worse pass rush. That's obviously a better thing for his pass catcher. So um, I, uh, Amari was like trending towards being one of our lock button plays. If CD was on the injury report and he wasn't, unfortunately he pops up on, on the Friday injury report and we have to keep an eye on it. But uh, that's just an offense that I want to be targeting. So if one of, or both of them are out, then, you know, maybe we look to Gallup coming back. Maybe we look to a Dalton Schultz. Um, obviously they're running backs. It's just an offense I want to be targeting this week. Yeah, I agree. But man, it's just, maybe it's my bias taking over here that Amari Cooper with a questionable tag just I know, sounds I know. like a way to I know. lose it's, money. It's, it's rough, but um, I, I just want, I'm, I want some of their pass catchers this week. I want, yeah. I want pieces of that game. Yeah. Good call. Um, and yeah, Actually, I want to add one thing to that game as well. Uh, Dalton Schultz' production was down, but his targets were not. Even mm-hmm. with Cooper Rush at the helm, I think yep. you could go right back to Schultz, though he won't be our picks this week. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, so headed in for my second wide receiver, I know this is probably not going to be 
the chalkiest value, the one you're going to hear a lot, especially on DraftKings where there are some more obvious plays. But in terms of the way that I look at value, in terms of expected fantasy points, the things that we're looking at in the breakout receiver model, DJ Moore's opportunity is nowhere near the production that we've seen as of late. And we can say a lot about the situation that he finds himself in, especially this week when we don't even know the status of Sam Darnold fully going into this week. Uh, the elephant in the room is that our breakout receiver model has identified the Panthers as basically the most underperforming pass offense in the league. Robbie Anderson has shown up on the model every single week, which is really an indicator that they're just not on the same page. They're going to be underperforming probably for the rest of the year, not to say the ceiling's impossible, but DJ Moore has only popped up once before this week. And once he did, he went ahead and hit. So I'm I'm kind of into more popping in our model this week, the possible backup QB part notwithstanding. Based on opportunity, more is a value. It's that simple. His 14.9 half PPR expected fantasy points in our model over the last three weeks is top five at his position. 31 targets during that same span. And even if the matchup with New England is not fun, I think people are going to be overweighting their last two games against the Chargers and the Jets. And they gave up 35 points to Dallas just three weeks ago, 28 points to Jameis Winston five weeks ago. So we know that there is a ceiling game in the range of outcomes for the New England defense as well. It's not impossible. Uh, Usually we simply need to give a lot more in salary for this type of usage on on any kind of offense. So when I see New England as just within eight points of the league average and adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offense, I'm going to be fine playing more especially at 7100 on FanDuel and if there is uh if, if Darnold is ruled out maybe we switch to another more we switch to Rondale more oh, yeah. uh if uh if this falls through but I, I will definitely have more DJ more than the field this this week his his um name popped up pretty high in in the value reports this week on four for four um the that salary compared to the usage you mentioned is he's just one of those players that i mean he's probably going to perform in spite of quarterback play just because he is that good and and they use him so much so uh i mean he he's a player that I, I think he opens up like just enough salary at his price that I, I like him. And again, with those, um, it, I think he's he probably fits into more of a, a balanced build for me just because we do have some really interesting guys that are super low salary. So if you do end up with some type of balanced build, he's probably going to fit in really nice. Whereas if you try to pair him with, say, two or three near min salary guys, you're probably going to end up with like kind of an awkward roster build. So I, I do like him in those um, balanced builds. And a player kind of at a, at a similar salary that fits that as well as Keenan Allen. He's actually not popping up too much on value reports. And I think a lot of that, it has to do with the fact that Philly is a uh, defense, as I mentioned with Austin Eckler, that filters points to running backs, but really they filter points to running backs and to the underneath pass. So that really suits Keenan Allen well. Um, He has a 25% target share on the season. Again, going back to the Chargers coming out of their bye, we saw them come out of their bye. 32% of the targets went to Keenan Allen. And obviously Keenan Allen, a a guy that runs a a huge percentage of his uh, routes from the slot. Philadelphia, even though they rank really high against wide receivers as a whole, if we look at their numbers against players lined up in the slot, they're only middle of the pack in yards per attempt allowed to players 
uh, in the slot. And another reason that I really like Keenan Allen is because I don't like Mike Williams in the spot. Uh, we saw Mike Williams early in the year was getting a huge percentage of the targets. Him and Keenan Allen were like the first three weeks, the, the most concentrated passing game in the league. Williams running all kinds of different routes, not just a, a run straight and toss it up to him guy. And then in week four, all of a sudden his average depth of target goes back to the old Mike Williams, like average depth of target of like 15, 16, even a game with like a 20 yard average depth of target over the last four games. And coincide with that is his target share going way down under 15% in three of the last four games. One of the games he was injured, but still the point is like they just changed his usage and said, start running those deep routes again. Philadelphia faces the second fewest deep balls uh, rate of deep balls in the league. And that goes right back to what we talked about. They're just going to play back, push everything in front of them, not let the uh, offense get behind them. That sets up for Keenan Allen does not set up for Mike Williams if they keep using him in this capacity. So I think Allen and he's top seven. I, I do an expected touchdown model. If you look at like my off season regression work, so it's not the exact same expected fantasy points as a wide receiver breakout model, but expected touchdowns. Keenan Allen is seventh among wide receivers this year, but only has two. So he actually has a little regression himself. If we just talk about scoring. So in this game, I, I think Keenan Allen is a really fantastic value and let's stay in this game and go to your favorite tight end of the week on the other side of the ball dallas goddard i just think with the way that the salary has worked out we still haven't fully adjusted to dallas goddard's new role with zach Ertz now in arizona and i think i've mentioned this on a previous week's show but it's worth mentioning again if they're not going to change the salary to what his potential is yeah. and it, let's just keep it really simple before before the Ertz trade the maximum amount of targets Dallas Goddard had seen in a game was five. After the Zach Ertz trade, the minimum amount of targets Dallas Goddard has seen is five. And so <laughs> yeah. last week, this is amazing, seven targets on just 13 routes run. I had to check yeah. if that was a mistake or something, but it's just the way the game script went. Mm -hmm. They were running so much basically because Detroit just didn't show up to play. So it's actually crazy impressive that he's able to get that many targets. A dozen fantasy points in back-to-back -back weeks without a touchdown as a tight end. That means you've got to be efficient, and that's exactly what we're seeing. 2.58 yards per route run is tight end three right now, as is his 11.5 yards per target. This is a guy who's efficient on a per-target basis and continues to have a higher snap share and target share week over week. And here's the best thing. Jalen Hurts is not great right now at throwing players open. So mm -hmm. Goddard is helping him in the best way he can. 2.26 average yards of separation at target. That's top six in the NFL. And considering how much he's being used now, that's getting more and more impressive. He's a touchdown, a positive touchdown regression candidate as well with just two TDs on the season. So I think people are actually underestimating the type of ceiling performance that is available in the range of outcomes for Dallas Goddard. I know the Chargers aren't the easiest matchup defensively, but he's as close to a fundamentally mispriced player that we have maybe outside of your pick here. Yeah, and the um, 
I mean, just like the, the, these defenses are both very similar. Um, and that's why I actually like uh, some kind of mini stack with Dallas Goddard and Keenan Allen. Um, just like the Eagles, the Chargers filter everything underneath. If we look going back to that stat, QBR based on air yards, they're third in QBR allowed on passes of 20 more, twenty or more yards, but uh, 24th on short passes and 23rd on intermediate passes. So, if, again, if they are going to throw the ball, and again, Jalen Hurts, it's going to be Dallas Goddard. It's going to be short to intermediate range. Uh, he is fourth in targets among tight ends since that Zach Ertz trade. So that is uh, a fantastic play um, for, for um, tight end. Um, Albert Okue Boonham. 4,500 FanDuel, 2,600 well DraftKings. I've been practicing all week, man. Um, <laughs> uh, this game is a game that I talked about with Amari Cooper and the pass catchers there. Uh, I, I do think there is some back and forth potential here. I, I don't know. Like, I guess maybe if you're playing Dak, you could justify Dak with like a cheap bring back. But just as a um, as a low-salary punt tight end, Akoi Boonham really stands out with Noah Fant on the reserve COVID list. Fant in his role uh, has commanded the fourth most targets among all tight ends. And Albert O is, uh, he, he's really actually kind of a, a freak athlete. I think he was a second round draft pick, 449 40, 99th percentile speed score. Um, player profile uh, noted that 86th percentile dominator rating, 90th percentile breakout age. So we look at him like, who does he compare to? He compares to like these Kyle Pitts, Mike Gesicki type players where he's really a wide receiver that is hidden as a tight end teams are throwing at the fifth highest rate in neutral situations against the Cowboys. If Denver does fall behind, like the spread suggests they're gonna have to throw even more. I know Jerry Judy's back. I know they got a, a really good wide receiver core. Um, but if you're getting uh, this tight end, that's going to get this type of usage. And he's a player that like in limited time last week, still got three targets. He's three catches on three targets, I believe. And, and he's a player that they've kind of, even though he's their tight end too, no matter who has been healthy or not, they've kind of found a way to at least get him some kind of snap. So I like that he's so good that they feel like we want this player on the field. I don't think it's a situation where we have to be like, oh, just because fans out doesn't mean the backup tight end takes over. This isn't just some scrub tight end. This is a tight end that they spent draft capital on that is a really fantastic athlete. So, um, I mean, he's going to probably be the most popular player on the slate, especially on DraftKings. So I could see why there is a discussion about whether or not we're playing him in tournaments. But if we're, especially on DK, if you're playing cash games, I just like Goddard's our, our top value overall on DraftKings, but if you're playing DK Cash, like I don't know how you play anyone but Alberto. Yeah, I have to admit to nerding out and watching the combine and seeing a young Albert O run his 40 and Googling his stats and really realizing he was going to break those percentiles on player profile yeah. before they even put the profile <laughs> up. And I was and I was a little disappointed when he went to the Broncos. Yeah. And, but now he's finally getting this opportunity at least for one week here. So yeah, I, I take the call even with Judy back in the lineup. Sure. Um, I, I talked about Dallas having um, a big spread in that game. There's an even bigger spread this week uh, and that's the defense that you like. Yeah. Uh, and if you're not going to go down to one of these options where the backup quarterback is playing against a pretty bad defense and we've got mm -hmm. two of them this week, I yep. suggest you get all the way up to an absolute smash spot because I don't know maybe in tournaments there's some value to just digging around in the middle mm -hmm. here or just going with a correlation, but I love the Buffalo Bills this week. 
I just think they're in an app, the absolute best defense in the absolute best spot of the week. The Bills are number one in the NFL in all of these metrics. Football Outsiders DVOA, yards per pass attempt, points per play allowed, and adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses. And it's not particularly close. They're actually nearly 30 points better than the average defense in our schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed metric. The Jags are 30th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing defenses. They're one of the easiest matchups in the league for opposing defenses, and that's because they're creating turnovers constantly. They're not able to extend drives. And so there's really nothing wrong with the Buffalo Bills other than their higher salary than other teams. They're all the way down at fifth in rushing DVOA. That's the worst thing I can see. Struggling. Yeah, the only other thing I saw is that over the last three weeks, they have found themselves in game environments where their defense hasn't needed to be as good, and it uh, it cost them a game against the Titans. Um, They are down at sixth in yards per pass attempt allowed and actually league average in points per play allowed over the last three weeks. But usually we want to look at a slightly larger sample there. I will say with these these high-priced defenses, obviously they're not going to present um, value per se, but we have seen a couple times tournament winners that have used, and not just any defense, but even expensive defenses, actually stacking them with their pass catchers. A lot of people will say, you know, stack a running back with a defense, and that's fine, even though I don't really like Zach Moss this week. But stacking one of the pass catchers with a defense is actually a really good play, especially in these blowout scenarios, because if the team gets up big, a team like the Bills, the way they get up big is by passing the ball. And if they are in a blowout situation, that's where your defense is going to really have the chance to um, to pin their ears back against the opposing offense. So uh, think think about rolling out the Bills in some of your Bills stacks. It, it's something that will go overlooked, especially if people are just like laser focused on which pass catcher to pair with Josh Allen. But uh, But their defense is an interesting way to get there too. You mentioned a uh, defense that's playing a backup quarterback, and the quarterback that I mentioned up top, we, we said the range of outcomes is wide for Jordan Love, so if the range of outcomes is wide for him, that means that the Chiefs actually have a range of outcomes where they can have a good game. Down at 3,300 on FanDuel, 2,300 on DraftKings. They're just the obvious punt play of the week with Aaron Rodgers out. There's no telling what we're going to get out of this offense with Jordan Love. Um you could actually make the argument that if the the Packers just do turn around and hand it off a, a bunch, like that hurts the Chiefs' upside because they aren't going to have chances for for sacks and turnovers. But on the flip side of that, if the Chiefs are able to to get up big against this uh, this Packers' weak secondary and they force Jordan Love to throw when the Packers are trying to hide him, that actually presents a lot of opportunity for upside. Um, probably a, a, a note that flew a little bit under the radar when people were watching the trade deadline is that the Chiefs did add Melvin Ingram and as Jordan Vanek noted in one of his write-ups this week if that can move Chris Jones back to permanent defensive tackle on the inside and not have him move around the line that could help the Chiefs even more slow down the run maybe shore up a pass rush where they've really struggled so the Chiefs are obviously in, in probably their best spot of the season like Melvin Ingram isn't all of a sudden going to make them an all-star defense, but it is a slight upgrade. So I like, um, I, I like, I think you're you're playing the Chiefs here, uh, at least in cash games, without thinking about it too much. Yeah, really nothing to add there. They're my favorite value play too. Uh, but I think in tournaments, as you mentioned, it's just such an easy way to start your lineup by differentiating yourself when you go Definitely. up in salary at defense. 
yeah, I think it's a really good play this week with the Bills. Uh, before we get into our theory segment this week, I want to tell you about the easiest and most fun way to spice up your fantasy football season. It's Underdog Fantasy and their brand new Pick'em game. Just pick over or under on your favorite or your least favorite player's stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players, and you can take home some cold, hard cash. Head over to 444.com slash underdog to claim your free 444 Pro subscription and get $10 in bonus cash from Underdog. Go play this weekend. Let's get into the theory segment this week. We've talked a ton on this podcast. We, we always kind of mention these mini correlations different stacks. Today, we want to focus specifically on the bring back. Um, that is when we have an offense, we use a player from the opposing team. Typically, it's talking about a quarterback with his, uh, however you stack an offense, and then bringing back a player from the other side. Some people call it a running back. Some people call it a bring back. Some people call it a game stack. Apparently, it's a super hot topic in the fantasy DFS world uh, right now. I just thought it was another thing we were going to talk about, but uh, apparently there's a lot of, of debate over whether or not to use it. Like you said, probably it has to do with, um, I mean, just the fact that, that if you look at something like the, the GPP reviews that we do uh, every week, that there have been a lot of successful lineups that haven't been using a bring back, uh, whereas there was maybe a narrative leading up to, to at least this season over the last couple of years that like just get as many players in from the top games as possible. So let's just get into it a little bit. Um, like when you're talking about a bring back, what are you looking at in bring backs or how would you maybe define a, a bring back or the t- key correlations of a bring back? Yeah, I would definitely say that the bring back option does not always have to include the quarterback, but the traditional version does include a quarterback stack Mm -hmm. and then bringing it back with the other team on the other side. But really the key correlation we're talking about here is one we don't actually get to use directly in NFL DFS. That is the quarterback and their opposing quarterback. Mm -hmm. When we look at our player correlations tools, the quarterback and their opposing quarterback is one of the highest correlations. And when you think about the amount of fantasy points scored, then it starts to be, you have to start to consider it the most important correlation. It is incredibly high. And the quarterback wide receiver correlations, as everyone knows at this point, are also through the roof. So that's the reason and the math behind why we're constantly trying to get players from the other side when our quarterback and one of our, our receiving options hit. Now, we've started to vary that over the last few years, which means including running backs really on both sides of the ball. With We can sometimes include quarterbacks and running backs, and we've talked about in previous game theory sec- segments when to do that. But the runback option can also be a running back. The short answer is... We're just trying to collect fantasy points here. And game stacks exist because game environments can vary from game to game. Games occur with, and what I mean by game environment is the way that the two teams play, specifically the two offenses, often influence each other, creating situations where many more fantasy points can be scored in one game than another. And so collecting players from that positive game environment is usually the most advantageous part. Yes. And that's why we're stacking. Yeah. And that, that positive game environment, I think is, um, I think it's where people can really get lost in the idea of game stacks bring uh, or, or bring backs because as you mentioned, we have these, um, 
these player correlations that we definitely lean on. But I, I do think people have a really tough time understanding the how points are actually scored in fantasy and where these correlations take place. Because when we do have this super positive game environments or where we would expect these games to be are the games with these huge spreads a lot of times like there isn't an environment for the opponents to have a good um a good fantasy game whereas the game environments where there is actually true shootout potential like the eagles and and the chargers this week the games with the high over-unders but the small spreads that's where we can often find the potential for these bring back candidates so there are quite a few um correlations like the, you mentioned quarterback quarterback just basically the opposing passing game but what are some of the the specific correlations that you notice when we're talking about players and their opponents Sure. Yeah. Some of the big ones here, I talk about the big four correlations, the opposing quarterback when you're playing a player and their opposing wide receiver has a 0.62 correlation. And that number doesn't really change if the spread changes or the outcome of the game changes. And the next closest is the quarterback and the opposing tight end. Mm -hmm. So that is at a 0.37, so significantly lower. But compared to other correlations in fantasy football, that's extremely high still. And so yeah. ultimately we're capturing players who consistently do well together. Mm -hmm. That traditionally means quarterback and their, their pass catchers. But as the NFL starts to change and players like Alvin Kamara and DeAndre Swift or players with immense ceilings like Nick Chubb or Derrick Henry, we're also adding them into these stacks. Whereas uh, I actually noted that quarterback and opposing running back has a 0.02 correlation, meaning mm -hmm. it is essentially random. But that means yeah. we don't have to go away from it at any time. So I think we'll get into this a little bit as we go further down here. But I think of it in terms of player blocks, thinking of it in terms of almost one salary block of players. And I, I think you, you have a different phraseology for it, thinking of it as one player, but that's essentially the same yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll I'll actually get back to to that running back um uh concept if we actually look at it at a more granular level. But I, I do want to talk about you mentioned that I, I don't want to gloss over the uh the tight end correlation with the quarterback mm -hmm. or with the opposing quarterback. This is where we have to be careful in terms of what site we're playing on because what we do see and, and where we can um, get in a little bit trouble, we still see a, a good percentage of and and when I for, for now when I'm saying a, a bring back, I'm just talking about with your primary quarterback stack because we'll get into some different types of bring back shortly. But in the on DraftKings, we still see a, a pretty high percentage of uh like let's call them top lineups, top five or top 10, depending on what you're looking at, use a bring back. And that makes sense. And I've, I've actually talked about this in the DFS uh, playbook that the, the garbage time scenarios that the, the spots where a team is really running up the score and the other team has to throw that works when scoring accounts for volume, when a, wide receiver can get four catches for 40 yards on the last drive. That's eight DraftKings points. That could be 11 DraftKings points if it puts them over the bonus. On FanDuel, it just doesn't work that often. So it's tougher to to have the bring back in your stack. And on that note, we've only seen two Sunday million winners this year. That's the FanDuel Sunday million use a bring back with their quarterback stack. Those two winners, it's been with a tight end. 
And I think that actually makes a lot of sense because tight ends are so game script dependent compared to like a wide receiver that can blow up on their own. Like you uh, pairing a tight end, not only is it game script dependent, but it's a position that it's a one day position and it's very hard to nail down. So you're kind of wiping out a difficult position by just pairing them with a player in your lineup. Now I'm not saying go blindly pair them all the time, but I don't think that it's a coincidence that a lot of the best lineups this year have had a tight end with a correlation to some player in their lineup. So using the, when, when we have seen greenbacks, especially on FanDuel, it makes sense that we see a lot of um, tight ends there, but let, let's get into some of the scenarios about um, when to and when to not use the greenbacks. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I have a very basic heuristic, which mm -hmm. is as onslaught potential increases, bring back necessity decreases. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've seen it a couple of times this year, mm -hmm. especially over the last few weeks where we've had super, super heavy favorites, multi-touchdown favorites. And when that occurs, it's not impossible for players to hit, but it makes me more inclined to create stacks and game stacks that don't include any of those players right and i don't think there's any specific rule that i have and th there's constantly players who are getting enough volume or touchdown or have enough touchdown equity where i'll include them or i'll break the rule but ultimately when we have heavy favorites or passing off uh, games with high totals but one team accounts for a massive amount of that total then the run back necessities just simply decreases exactly. yep it doesn't make it impossible but it's just not necessary yeah, I mean, examples we've really seen of that this year have been teams like uh, the Dolphins last week or just the Texans in general, like Brandon Cooks. And I've been guilty of this. You just see his usage in that offense and you think, oh, they're going to be, they're going to have to throw. You can use Brandon Cooks. And again, this is especially true on Fandle where volume just isn't going to get you there. When that team is just in such a bad game environment, it's just going to be really hard to um, to use them. So like we we that horribly negative game script sometimes it can work on DraftKings. it's just often not going to work on on FanDuel. and you do want like a, a true shootout potential where the two offenses are really going to correlate with each other like if a team is winning 30 to 7 there's not really gonna be a lot of correlation there right the correlation is gonna happen when it's 30 to 26 and they're going back and forth um in in the fourth quarter um yeah, let, let, actually, add ahead, to one, one thing to that, too, is that the simple fact about fantasy football is that touchdowns are so much more valuable than everything else. And on FanDuel, which is half PPR, touchdowns are worth even more. Yeah. So really what we're doing is we're trying to capture touchdowns, especially at the tight end position where you essentially need touchdowns, usually two touchdowns in order to shoot to the top of the leaderboard at that position. So. Uh, that's that's the basis of game environment. People have mm. got to get in the end zone. And uh, again, especially on FanDuel, I'll start to break the rules if I think people have the ability to score touchdowns. Yep. So, it, I mean, it, it kind of just makes sense. Like we, we want to be using bringbacks when the game environment can benefit both teams. A lot of times in these blowout scenarios, again, especially on FanDuel, it's not going to be extremely beneficial for the upside of your lineup. But something that we do see happen a lot is, or not a lot, but, that is worth a consideration is using an opposing running back in a stack. So how do you go about implementing running backs either, either to like as a bring back your stack or just as an inclusion in a game stack? Yeah. So I do this automatically 
being an optimizer when I am creating lineups for tournaments. And I mm -hmm. actually don't force stacking. I just get, use uh, correlation tools on player blocks, but I do force one wide receiver or tight end to be matched up with one running back wide receiver or tight end on the opposing team. So that naturally gets me to situations where I do have a stack and a run back, the traditional bring back as we've talked about, yeah. but it often creates situations where it's a wide receiver that is really popular or has a really good projection. And it just ha so happens that the running back comes into that lineup naturally. And I'm not ever moving away from that. It, it's fine. Again, I'm looking to capture fantasy points here. And so if one player is popular and I put them in my line, or I should say if one player is projected well and I put them in my lineup, that means they're hitting their ceiling in that lineup. I have to think that way. So if I go one step further and correlate the players who would do well in that situation, when my player hits their ceiling, it's often another player who's going to get a lot of touches, and that could be a running back. Your DeAndre Swifts, your Alvin Kamaras of the world, and so, of course, I'm willing to get there regardless of platform. Uh, I guess I don't have any specific rules, but mm -hmm. running back is often my bring back option when I'm doing it that way. Yeah, my th this whole theory statement was just to get a big ploy to get me to talk about this topic of running backs because one of the one of the things that that we've seen and I, I think when people talk about bring backs is we're so um, we, we've been so conditioned to talk about these very good game environments with the quarterbacks, with the pass games, with the shootouts, that it, it's it's kind of clouded our judgment into like how we should actually be thinking about game environments. And we're not just trying to capture shootouts, we're trying to capture game environments in GPPs. And one thing we've seen popping up, and I, I don't think it's prevalent across the industry, and I think it might be why it's showing up in a lot of winning and top lineups, just because a lot of average players aren't doing it and sharp players are, is that bringbacks can be used in our mini correlations. And mini correlations are popping up everywhere in winning GPP lineups. When I say mini correlations, I just mean a correlation that doesn't include a quarterback. One of the most popular ones in for the past couple of years has been running back defense. That's very intuitive. If a running back is having a good game, his defense is probably going to have a good game or vice versa because when your defense is having a game, holding the opponents to low scores, you're up by a lot. Your running back gets to um, your, your running back gets to pound the rock late in the game. That is still very viable, still popping up. But another one that I've really seen pop up this year, running back and opposing pass catcher. And going back to your point about how running backs and opposing pass games correlate. That is true on the league wide level. Now, if we talk about narrowing it down to the game environments that we typically target the most, those being the high scoring games, we actually see that at least this year, running backs correlate higher with opposing passing games than quarterbacks do with opposing passing games. And in the four for four correlation tool, that is a very specific filter that's filtered for games with an over under of at least 50 and for teams that are favored by at least three points. So it does narrow the sample size a little bit, but if you think about it, if we're trying to capture a game environment, What's going to be easier to do? Is it going to be easier to find a true shootout where maybe we only have one or two of those options every single week where a, both offenses are completely going off and neither of them has a bad day? Or 
Is it going to be easier to find a game where a team really only has to get up by more than seven points where they're featuring their running back and the other team only needs one of their wide receivers or, or pass catchers to be going off as well. I think the latter situation is going to happen way more often. Is it always going to be easy to pick those exact players? No, but the scenario capturing that game environment, I think you're gonna have a lot more opportunities for that every single week. And I think it's why we're seeing so many of these pop up. So I do think the running back is a very vital part to stacking success and specifically to bring back success. I just think it falls outside the realm of what we have traditionally been talking about with the bring back. So if you're listening to this, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm really curious if that has to do with a little bit, not to say that it's randomness, but specifically we've had, we've commented on it before some really strange slates where massive, massive favorites. And I was just talking, I was just looking at some of the stats here about FanDuel actually they have less in holdings than they expected because all of those favorites <laughs> kept winning. And yeah. a lot of, and that trickled down to fantasy scoring. Yeah. You know, we saw the Rams dominate every time that they were projected to dominate. None of these big underdogs really put up a fight in these. And so I wonder if we're going to see that switch back. But to, to continue on the process here of thinking about uh, or thinking outside positions, one thing I've really started to move away from is putting player blocks together that involve quarterback at all. You know, sometimes mm-hmm, when it's yep. a rushing quarterback and they're in a smash spot, that's one thing. But to think about player blocks, quarterback agnostic has actually increased my creativity in my yeah. opinion, because then I can start to say, well, sometimes I'll add a quarterback from this game, adding to the correlation. And maybe I'll add another pass catcher and make it a really big stack and put it in a single entry, or I'll limit the correlation, keep it to just two or three players. And again, that can include a running back, as we said. So uh, especially if they're pass catching and getting goal line work, I'm always willing to play the player in a stack. And and that kind of ties into what my next point was going to be is like the alternative to the bring back. So even when we are like one, th- even though we've seen, um, especially on Fandle, more lineups not using a bring back, a specific, especially this year we haven't seen fewer correlated players. Like we always like the average on both FanDuel and DraftKings always falls around like five or six correlated players in the lineup. In the past, that's maybe been like four players from, from one game and, and one or two players or two players from another game. Instead of a bring back, we can use multiple mini correlations. So maybe you only use a quarterback and wide receiver, but then you also have a running back defense and a running back with an opposing pass catcher. So instead of a bring back, using more mini correlations. So you still have a very correlated lineup, but just not correlated in one game. So yeah, maybe we're not going to get that game environment perfect with four or five players, but we're still not trying to hit nine players individually, right? We're like, we want three games to hit how we expect it to. And then we mean we only need two one-offs to hit or three one-offs to hit. So targeting multiple mini correlations. And then another idea, and, and this kind of goes back to your point about if the game environment is like a blowout scenario and everybody is rolling out, like, I don't know, say bringing back a, a Brandon Cooks in a game where Texans are expected to get blowout, if that's going to be like the popular bring back, look at the same salary and just like bring it back with instead of bringing it back, just pivot to a low on option. So now you got leverage because you're. You're stacking the game without bringing it back, and you're also leveraging a salary pivot off of what might be the popular bring back. 
Yeah, I dig that. And you can also create leverage stacks too. You know, go to our mm -hmm. go to our GP, uh, excuse me, our stack value tool yeah. and find stacks that are high ranking, but they also go opposite of what the field is really believing. I'm not saying go play your Jaguar stacks this week, but I am saying you can find situations where underdogs look look solid in their value here and it goes back to something that we actually both have in our notes here we have to try to limit the amount of things we get right mm -hmm. in a dfs lineup maybe in a millionaire maker lineup we need to get all nine pieces of our lineup exactly correct we're going to use slightly less correlations in that situation but for the most part when we use these chunks of players these mini or maximum correlations we're really just limiting the amount of things we have to get right so when they do hit we have huge days yep you you called it the player block and and i just kind of try to think about it as a single player right we have to get fear with things right so if we think of our stack as a player what do we think about with players? We think of how much salary they're spending, how popular they're going to be, and what their ceiling needs to be to account for the ownership and the salary, right? So if we're, if you are running, if you're trying to run back a Mahomes Tyreek stack with the Devontae Adams, you need that to hit so perfectly because you're you're taking on salary. You're probably taking on ownership with, with at least with Tyreek. So you need them to go bonkers. So with the, that kind of answers the question. Like there's no, we, how many times have we said everything is week dependent and it's a week to week game. But when people are saying, how often should I be using a bring back? We're not gonna be able to give you a perfect percentage or how many times you should do it. What we can tell you is what are you going to be thinking about? So how much salary are you allocated and how much ownership are you allocating? Like last week, um, the, the, the millionaire lineup had a bring back of Carson had a bring back Carson Wentz, um, Michael Pittman and AJ Brown. Wentz was like 8%, which is kind of high for a quarterback. Pittman was 24%. AJ Brown's like 15%. So sure they used a bring back, but if we really think about it as a single player, they only used three players in their stack relatively high ownership, right? Like it doesn't make you're already using that much ownership on a stack. It's going to be pretty hard to add a fourth player in that when you're already accounting for that much ownership. Like you need to hit perfectly. Like it still hit kind of perfect, but they're only using three players. They still have six other players in their lineup. So account for salary, account for ownership. Think about it as one being, if you will. And uh, like, what do you need to hit? And it, it, the the less things you need, the less ownership, the the less salary you're spending on it. Probably more you can go uh, with it. Um, any any last thoughts on on the bring back? Yeah, uh, just in general with stacks, the more contrarian you get with the stack, and if you're thinking about it as one player, the more contrarian you are with that pick, the more chalky you can be with the rest of your lineup. And yes, remember yeah, that yeah. just because you're using correlations doesn't mean you're playing bad plays. And I think sometimes we get caught up in the process and we got to be correct with our lineups. We don't need to move away from bad plays. Yeah. Oh, so um, we, do need, we do need to move away yes, from bad yes, plays. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that that that's a that's a really good um a, a really good bow on it so uh yeah thank you to everybody for listening to uh the week nine podcast if you're on if you're on youtube make sure you check out the audio on whatever podcast platform you're listening to if you're on the audio please come check out the youtube and subscribe to that please rate and review if you're on itunes if you're here on youtube please like and subscribe to the 444 channel remember that we had that dfs subscription price drop 
down to $49. So make sure you go to 444 to lock that in for the rest of the year. If you still haven't signed up and you're looking for another way to get our DFS subscription, head on over to 444.com slash prize picks and you can get access to the DFS sub for as little as $20. Don't forget our other DFS shows, Cash Game Review, every Monday on YouTube, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Every Saturday, DFS MVP and Yahoo drop the Yahoo DFS value podcast. Sunday morning, last look, I talked about getting signed up for the 444 subscription. If you do that, you get access to our subscriber-only Discord. That's where we have our GPP last look show with myself and Jordan Vanek. That's 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Follow us on Twitter. 444 is at 444Football. Matt is at Draftaholic. I'm at TJ Hernandez. We'll talk to you guys next week.